Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Hey, 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 listeners, welcome back. Hi, Sarah, how are you? You sound so chipper. I got to push not, through. You're not even on summer vacation yet. I'm all on my like summer va- hanging out by the pool mode. You know, kids are home. Actually, the kids, it's funny because this is the first summer. Like the kids are home. I didn't put them in any camps or anything this year. I was like, you guys can just ha- entertain yourselves. And they really are. Like they're playing board games together. They're, you know, walking the neighborhood together. They're in the playground. Like they, they're like, yeah, see you, mom. Like, <laughs> It's fine. Like they, they want to, if they want to be taken somewhere or if they want like food, that's where I come into, you know, into the, the equation. I'm like, Oh, you guys are actually letting me work. This is kind of a, I, I feel a little bit sad. Are you sure you don't want to interrupt me a little bit more? <laughs> uh, so, but they really are. They're like, you know, that's fine, mom. You can go work. We're just going to play this, this board game. I'm like, Hey, that looks like a fun game for three. No mom, you've, you've got a book. You've got to finish. You go work. Oh, <sighs> thank you. Welcome to your kids are getting older. I know it's crazy. It's awesome. But it's also a little bit sad. Okay. You're sitting down, right? I'm not. I always podcast. That's standing. true. I know that. Okay. We'll just brace yourself. <sighs> okay. Embraced. Coldern's 13 this summer. <gasps> No. Yeah. So you want to talk about someone not needing you. <laughs> like Cole You're going to have a teenage boy in the house. So independent. Yeah. So for me, I'm, I mean, summer is coming this week. Actually, it's the last week of the boys school, but um, it really doesn't mean anything for me because I still work all day. So my situation doesn't change except that I don't have to take Finn to school in the morning, which is very nice. Um, but they're doing summer camp or no, they're not doing summer camp. They're doing um, swim team, which they started last week. And Finn's baseball had about a week overlap, but that just ended last week, which by the way, he made the playoffs and I just, I had some incredible, like first time baseball mom love. And I'm so excited. He wants to do it again in the fall and Cole wants to do it. And I've never been a sports mom. So this is super weird, but I'm excited <laughs> about it. Um, yeah. So I think we're just kind of getting, we'll be getting into the new groove next week, but right now We've just got a lot of stuff going on that we're juggling as you know, you know how that transition yeah, no, period the end is of year stuff. I mean, this year was crazy for me because, um, swim team start, like we've only got two meets left. Like that's how going to our summer we are. Uh, <laughs> it's like, so bizarre to me. Like we're not that far away. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so true. Um, but yeah, we're, we're like way into our summer now, but, um, swim team started, uh, before dance, end of year dance recitals. So we had like two meets and like four dance recitals, 
within five days. And it was like, I'm, 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 I've blocked most of it out other than the proud mama moments. Like the proud mama moments obviously are going to stick with me forever, but the like driving and the late nights and the cranky kit, all that stuff. It's just, it's just, I'm so much happier now to just be in, you know, I get up and I go to the gym and sometimes my eight year old comes with me and then we come back home and then my 11 year old goes to, you know, it's, it's, I'm really enjoying the routine. Uh, but I do, I do wish a little bit, that my kids wanted to play with me a little bit more just to, I mean, I'm getting a lot of work done on the book and it's fine, but I, I wish a little bit more. <laughs> they were bugging me more. Uh, well, I would be empathetic except I'm not, I love, I love being <laughs> left alone. And when I want my children, I just inform them that it's time to hang out with me. So <laughs> uh, I shall try this. Um, so I'm really excited about this week's topic, but I just want to remind people that I am offering free sunblock if they purchase from me this month. I talked about it last week. And then at the very end, I said I'd put a link on the sidebar of our blog. So that's available for you if you need to find it with all the information. Um, but before I talked about sun and skin and all of that kind of stuff. My original paleo hashtag was more vegetables than a vegetarian. And it started with me having been a vegetarian through um, middle school and high school. And even as I entered college and then I met Matt and he ate a bloody hamburger in front of me. And I decided that I did like him enough to tolerate it. Um, and so ever since I've been talking about veggies, we've had multiple incredible vegetable shows on the podcast, great feedback topics that I really enjoyed. Um, but we had somehow not covered everything that we could possibly cover about vegetables. I don't know how that's possible, but I'm excited that we get to talk about it some more. <laughs> I also had this, you know, I, I feel like this came up as like a little tangent in one show like three and a half years ago. Um, but as I was trying to figure out, like even if we, how much we had covered this, I realized how much new information there was to even revisit. Um, you know, this was a topic that I wrote on my website probably like four years ago. And um, I've had to update that original article as I was doing research for this episode, because I just realized like this, 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 there's a lot of like little bits and pieces to this topic. Uh, so, uh, I'm excited to get into it. Should we get into it? Yes, please. Uh, so this is a question slash podcast review, uh, from Marin. Would you pronounce that Marin or Marin? Oh, I thought it was Marin. Okay. Marin, I apologize now if it's pronounced in any other way other than Marin. Only because you're Canadian are you apologizing. An American would be like, ah, oh, it's fine. You know who you are. <laughs> uh, well, this is a part of my Canadianism that I'm going to hold dear to my heart. I love that you remain the sweet one. <laughs> All right. So Marin's question. This podcast and you have truly changed my life for the better. I've been a listener for three years and totally binge listened before that. I have cured so many things from acne to being able to live like a boss with rheumatoid arthritis. 
Really appreciated you opening up about depression and it was helpful listening to you coming off meds and it wasn't something you had to just add to this list of meds you'd take forever. I wish I had time to list all of the health things you've helped me through. Really appreciate the cool books too, you guys sharing all the recommendations. My question is, can you break down or talk about raw versus cooked foods? This came up in uh, adding more veggies and some of the reading I found vegan based said it was better to eat more raw than cooked veggies. Is this really true? I just kind of figured veggies were veggies. It is really that beneficial to consume more raw than cooked. One of the rules was raw till four thoughts. Thank you for all you do and all your teams do. I just want to state for the record that Matt is my team. I mean, I we do, know. we do, we do have someone who helps with, with the podcasting graphics. That's true. Crystal's amazing. Hi, Crystal. Um, but thank you for your comment. And some, sometimes people email me and they're like, can you tell Stacy, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you're talking to her. <laughs> <laughs> I always get, I sometimes get like a reply back to an email that's like, wait, is this really Sarah? Yep. Yep, it is. Um, no, I, I wanted to, you know, t- you know, tell Marin, thank you so much for acknowledging our teams because this is not just the, the Sarah and Stacy show, even though that's what the outward appearance of it is. Um, you know, I certainly have. Um, a, a team of, of people who help in terms of, you know, social media and organization and um, I have research assistants now, a graphic designer, right? And you, Matt produces the show. He edits it. He He's the one who has to actually listen to all of the crazy stuff we say and then edit it together to make it sound awesome. And Matt gets a lot of, a lot of kudos right there. <laughs> he does. He does do a lot of the podcast work. I just show up and have fun. <laughs> Sarah and her team the does the research. research. And then Matt does the hours and hours of work on the back end. And meanwhile, I'm the one that whines and complains every week. <laughs> <laughs> I have done my fair share of whining and complaining on the show. Let's let's own that one right there. All right. But Marin has good questions. She does. So let's talk about this. I mean, I I, I think the the, the take home message is there are benefits to both raw and cooked vegetables. And so the best option is to mix it up and to eat some raw and some cooked, but also mix up. So like sometimes have raw broccoli and sometimes have cooked broccoli, sometimes have raw carrots, sometimes have roasted carrots, mix up the ways that you cook it, mix up how long you cook it. But there's a lot of detail and nuance. So um, so I want to get into this. And I want to start with just how important the advent of cooking was to human evolution. So there are two big things um, that we did in terms of dietary shifts that seem to at least uh, sort of evolutionary biologists believe that they were main drivers of us uh, evolving these large brains, right? So we have much larger brains than other primates. And those brains allowed us to do things like uh, develop tools, but also uh, you know socialize. I mean, socializing was an incredibly a sort of cognitively demanding task. That socialization led to societal structures, right? And so as we um, became uh, sort of a uh, rooted as opposed to nomadic uh, species, societal structure allowed for division of labor, which is really what led to all of the technological advances of, of mankind. 
so we, um, as a actually long before we were Homo sapiens, prehistoric man uh, appears to have mastered the art of fire and cooking approximately one and a half million years ago, um, and. That was a main driver. So moving to, I mentioned there were two things. One actually predated that, which was the move to consuming starchy roots and tubers. So that um, dramatically increased the energy density of our diets and seems to have been one major um, push towards us being able to develop these bigger brains. And the other one seems to have been cooking. So cooking increases the energy that can be digested out of food. So it, it costs us less energy to digest that food. We get more energy from that food. And that's actually true for meat and plants. And um, being able to get more energy out of our food meant there was more time in our day for all of these really sort of brain stimulating things like socializing and communicating. Um, and that you know, has come, you know, we've evolved through those, you know, one and a half million years um, to these, these big brains that we have now use 20 to 25% of the calories that we burn every day. So if you're consuming a, you know, if you're uh, a, a 2000 calorie a day, you know, person that that's your diet for weight maintenance, something like four to 500 calories of that is being used just by your brain which is an amazing, amazing thing to think about. But our brains require so much energy. And if we hadn't been able to develop these energy-rich sources of food, uh, at least some evolutionary biologists believe that we would not have been able to evolve into the, the you know species that we are now, these homo sapiens with these big brains. There are certainly some evolutionary biologists who um, don't think that our evolution is as strongly linked to to uh, those dietary shifts. But I would say that the majority from, from my reading anyways, really credit those two big changes. So the change towards eating, uh, starchy roots and tubers in addition to an otherwise varied diet that included, uh, we were, we've been omnivores for, for a few, few million years. So, um, that, that switch to those sort of starchy roots and tubers and then, and then this secondary shift towards cooking those starchy roots and tubers as well as cooking meat. Um, what's really interesting is it hasn't been that long since studies have actually confirmed that energy density part from cooked foods. So there was a really, really important landmark study in just 2011, uh, just seven years ago, uh, where they took um, uh, mice and they either fed them uh, meat or sweet potatoes and that meat or sweet potatoes was either raw and whole, raw and pounded, cooked and whole, cooked and pounded. So they had eight groups, right? Uh, you know, the, the, the four different treatments of their food, and then the food was either meat-based or sweet potato-based. And then they looked at all different kinds of uh, metrics of health. Um, they were correcting for things like how much the mice ate, how much they exercised running on a wheel. And what they discovered was that cooked food delivered more energy than raw food. And that was true for the cooked meat. And that was true for the cooked sweet potatoes. And the energetic gains from cooking were greater than the gains from pounding. Um, but of course, you could you could 
uh, add those. So the cooking increased the energetic gains even from the pounded foods. So like the the most energy that these mice got was from uh, cooked, pounded meat and sweet potatoes. And what was actually really cool was then they then looked at at preference tests. So we are not, as humans with our current food supply, we're not very good at eating instinctively, but most other animals on the planet are. And most animals will have an instinct for energy-dense foods and nutrient-dense foods. And so what was really interesting is these mice also had a very strong preference for the cooked foods. So it sort of confirms that those foods were uh, providing the mice with better nutrition because they were cooked. That same lab has done some really interesting studies since. So they followed that study up by looking at um, whether or not cooking increases the energy density from fat-rich foods. And so they again sort of showed that cooking consistently increased the energy that we get per calorie of food uh, whereas in terms of fat, blending had no detectable benefits. And that – when I sort of read that in the paper, I was like, wait, we get more energy per calorie, but isn't calorie a measurement of energy? And I had one of those like, hang on. I'm imagining how- Bill and Ted like, doo-loo, doo-loo, doo-loo. And no, wait, that's, that's um, Wayne and – oh, my gosh. Wayne's World. Garth. Garth and Wayne. Wow. I just almost lost my cool points right there. Um, there's a certain queen song going through my head now. It's fine. <laughs> um. Now that I've completely distracted you from science. <laughs> That's all right. Because this is a little tangent. Because we are so used to reading labels. And um, I, I always sort of say, like, you know, it's it's something that I have this, like, encyclopedic brain for nutrient facts, which I think comes from trying to lose weight for decades before actually succeeding. Um, we get very, very good at reading labels. And certainly, you know, nowadays I know a lot more about micronutrients, but I used to pretty much just pay attention to, you know, the big, <laughs> the big four calories, protein grams, carbohydrate grams, and fat grams. And, um, and so what's really interesting is we're reading labels and we have this, you know, amount of energy in this food, right? Here's the number of calories in this food. And it turns out that the number of calories in a food has nothing to do with how much energy you are going to get out of that food once it's digested and the energy is absorbed. The original method for determining how many calories were in a food was the food was placed in this like sealed container surrounded by water. Uh, called a bomb calorimeter. And then the food was completely burned. And then the temperature of the water was measured. So how much the rise in temperature of the water was how many calories <laughs> was in that food. And nowadays, they don't even do that anymore. They just do a calculation based on grams of protein, carbohydrates, and fat of the individual components of a food. So we've all kind of already measured how, you know, what's the food composition of all these things. So if your food has this much broccoli and this much beef, then we make this calculation. And so calories, calories don't reflect digestibility at all. They basically just reflect, you know, four calories for protein, four calories for carbohydrate, nine calories for fat, alcohol is seven calories. Uh, And based on the fact that if you burned that food, that's how many sort of calories in 
of energy would, you know, translate to this, this water temperature rise. So, so this idea now that cooking food actually increases the amount of energy that we can get out of that food, it basically makes it more efficient. So if a food has 100 calories of energy, if that food is cooked, I mean, we don't know, does that mean we get 80 of those calories? Does that mean we get 60? Uh, if it's raw, like that, that part of that math is, is not known at this point. But we do know that we get more of those calories becomes energy that's usable for our body, which is, is pretty cool. And that's, that's been a main driver of, of human evolution is this ability to uh, free up time because we're getting more energy from our food. So that's one aspect of a, a sort of benefit to to cooking. Um, and, and part of me goes, well, you know, in this modern day society where there's no shortage of calories, then wouldn't that mean that you want to do the opposite? You want to eat your food raw so you get fewer calories from it for, for you know, weight. I mean, that doesn't make sense from a sustainability standpoint, but it certainly makes sense from, from a but I like eating all these calories if I eat them raw, then it's not going to be as much energy for my body. But that's only one part of this entire equation. The other one is micronutrients, which we've talked about a bajillion times on the show. Um, and certainly, you know, I really firmly believe that micronutrient sufficiency is the primary criteria for a health promoting diet. So that means that you actually get adequate and synergistic quantities of the full collection of essential and non-essential micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, uh, phytochemicals, essential amino acids, essential fatty acids. So um, these can be, some of them anyways, can be very volatile in heat. So for example, vitamin C degrades with heat, um, as well as dehydration and prolonged storage. Now it's not like if I steam my broccoli, it'll have zero vitamin C. Uh, you know, steamed broccoli would have like 90% of the vitamin C of raw broccoli. So it's not like this huge off the chain, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose all my vitamin C if I cook my food. But some of it will degrade. Polyphenols, which are a really, really important antioxidant plant phytochemical uh, that reduce risk of cardiovascular disease and cancer. Um, polyphenols are, for example, why a really high quality olive oil is 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 really, really great. Uh, they are destroyed uh, in with in cooking, at least partially. Again, um, there's also some other sort of beneficial uh, compounds, uh, especially in the phytochemical range. So there is an enzyme that is found in raw broccoli uh, called myrosinase that when you chew the broccoli and it break, starts breaking up the cells, or if you chop it really fine. Um, it actually it uh, converts um, some other chemicals in broccoli into a really really beneficial phytochemical called sulforaphane, uh, which is really really important for preventing cancer. It's probably one of the most important phytochemicals um, in sort of the entire cruciferous family for cancer prevention. So if you cook broccoli before chewing it and you destroy this enzyme, you don't get any sulforaphane. What's interesting is if you, you know, chop it up and then cook it, you like if you if you get that enzyme going before you cook it, um, then you can actually still make get some sulforaphane. So there's one of those like you know, chopping up garlic is another example. So you chop up your garlic really, really fine or crush it. 
uh, let it sit, that develops the allicin. So allicin, again, is uh, reduces risk of cancer, reduces risk of cardiovascular disease. It has some really cool antimicrobial effects. Um, it uh, it is um, that that enzyme uh, is less stable in heat. So um, so if you cook garlic and then you're chewing it, you're getting less of it. Um, also, in terms of phytochemicals, cooking method can make a, a really big difference. So there's a bunch of studies that look at cooking methods for different vitamins and minerals and basically show that if you boil something, if you cook them in a fair amount of water, you're going to lose a fair amount of the these phytochemicals be, basically because they're going to leach out of the food and into the water rather than the, it necessarily being destroyed by heat. So there certainly are some uh, important phytochemicals plus vitamin C that are volatile in heat. So they're, they're just not as stable and they're going to start degrading as you cook. And the more you cook, the, the less of those uh, beneficial phytochemicals you're going to have at the end. But there's another side to this coin. So there's also some nutrients that are formed during cooking. Uh, so what's really interesting about that is you know, heat starts to break down cell walls, and that can actually liberate some nutrients that would otherwise be locked inside of the cells or bound to cell wall constituents. And so there are actually a lot of antioxidants that can be increased during cooking. So carotenoids, for example, which are vitamin A precursors, um, they increase um, in terms of their bioavailability when vegetables are cooked. Um, what's actually really interesting, too, is that if you reduce the uh, particle size, which basically means that you blend up your your carrots, <laughs> um, that increases the amount of, of beta carotene that you can get as well. Uh, lycopene is another example of a compound that increases when tomatoes are cooked or sun-dried. Um, there are really? mm -hmm. sun-dried tomatoes have more lycopene than raw tomatoes. I would have. Okay. And so do cooked tomatoes. Yeah. It's interesting cool? to me because I would have thought the raw form would have been more intense, but I guess because you're taking out the water. It's, it's not, it's not actually, so lycopene and carotenoids are actually, uh, their formation increases with heat. So you can think of it as um, there's the raw materials inside the cells to create these nutrients through chemical reactions. Heat will drive that chemical reaction until those materials run out. And that's why uh, you're increasing the amount of some micronutrients. Uh, indole, uh, which is in uh, cruciferous vegetables, is only formed when uh, those vegetables are cooked. So that's broccoli, kale, cabbage. Uh, and it uh, has cancer preventive uh, properties. Um, and so what's what's really interesting is we've got like, okay, so there's, you know, we're going to lose our polyphenols, but we're going to get more carotenoids. We're going to get more lycopene, right? We've got this like trade-off, which is one of the main reasons why mixing up raw versus cooked can be really, really helpful. There's this whole other side of it, though. And this was something that I, I spent a good amount of time uh, over the weekend diving into the scientific literature because I had never looked at this before. I had looked at um, this aspect of, you know, some micronutrients being formed through heat, some being degraded through heat, and, and that making an argument for mixing up raw versus uh, cooked, cooked foods. But um, the question that came up to me as I was 
starting to research this in terms of, of answering Marin's question was what about the fiber? So we've talked a lot about, you know, well, if you have a lot of digestive distress, eating raw vegetables, cooked vegetables are much easier in the digestive system because it partially breaks down some of the fiber. Um, and it is, it's right, it's, it's, it's dismantling some of those molecular structures. So my question was, does that alter how the fiber feeds the microbiome? And maybe because I'm writing a microbiome book right now, this became a particularly interesting question to me. And yes, this is going to go into a chapter in the book as well. Um, but that was actually a really hard question to get answered in the scientific literature. Um, there are only a, a handful of studies that have looked at it. So I found uh, studies that looked at uh, carrot fiber, wheat fiber, and brown seaweed fiber. And uh, what was really, really interesting was, um, you know, as you start to get into the details, you realize that it's very, very complicated. So, um, you know, the the reason why fiber is beneficial for us, so it does some some big things like, regulating peristalsis. Um, but the most important thing that it does is it feeds the gut, our gut bacteria. And we certainly know already that different types of fiber feed different types of gut bacteria. And it's one of the reasons why having a very diverse diet, especially eating a diversity of vegetables and fruit is really, really important for supporting a healthy gut microbiome because the diversity of fiber types is going to feed a diversity of different strains of bacteria. And we know that the number one property of a healthy gut microbiome is uh, biodiversity, biorichness. So we should be having something like a thousand to fifteen hundred different strains of microbes in our gut at any given time. And then there's some, you know, some other interesting things like looking at the balance, right? We've got certain, uh, you know, the balance of uh, Bacteroidetes versus Firmicutes, right? We're, we're looking at uh, gram-negative versus gram-positive, and some of the some of the other details in terms of what types of species are growing. Um, there's certain uh, species that are considered uh, foundational, keystone. They're super super important. Uh, we know that they need to be there for a gut microbiome to be healthy. We know there's um, opportunistic species, and the details of like which species uh, are desirable, what ratios. That is still something that in that there's active research trying to figure out. We know a lot, but there's a lot more than we don't know. But getting into like, okay, so what about cooked fiber versus raw fiber? So the study that looked at carrots showed faster fermentation of cooked carrots compared to raw carrots. Um, and what was really interesting was that that was more important. So they also looked at particle size, so like how how big are these fiber particles? And they actually showed that cooked versus raw was a bigger driver of uh, fermentation and the production of short-chain fatty acids than particle size, which was really, really cool. But they did not get into the details. They They fed it to pigs, so they were basically just looking at short-chain fatty acids in, in the feces. They didn't get into the details of like what, what species are growing. So they basically just showed uh, that cooked carrot fiber uh, was fermented more rapidly and produced more short-chain fatty acids and gas than raw, which to me was fascinating if I'd had to like 
you know, place a bet, I probably would have bet the opposite. I would have bet that raw fiber would be more easily fermented. Um, I would have, I would have thought that, oh, that, you know, the, there's, there's more of the structure of the fiber for the bacteria to start breaking apart. Cause that's one of the things as they're fermenting it, they're breaking apart the structure of the, of the fiber. So that was the opposite of what I guessed. Um, a, a couple of studies though have started to look at some of the details in terms of, uh, uh bacterial species, so one study looked at a wheat fiber that was either raw, lightly toasted, or fully toasted. And what was interesting was uh, they looked at bifidobacterium and lactobacillus, which are two extremely important uh, families of bacteria in our digestive tracts. And they showed that it didn't matter if it was raw or toasted in terms of bifidobacterium growth but only the raw fiber supported the growth of lactobacillus. And lactobacillus is the most common um, probiotic strain that people are, you know, popping, you know, probiotic capsules like crazy because lactobacillus so it tends to be, um, low lactobacillus tends to be strongly linked with, with chronic illness um, and increasing lactobacillus can be very, very helpful. Um, you know, we don't seem to be able to do that necessarily with supplements, but we do seem to be able to do that by changing diet and raw fiber seems to feed them better. The study that looked at brown seaweed fiber actually saw something very, very similar. So um, they did a lot more analysis in terms of the different families of bacteria. They looked at uh, the Firmicutes, which are gram positive, to the Bacteroidetes, which are gram negative, which are the two most abundant uh, uh, phyla of bacteria in the human gut. And we know that if you eat a very vegetable rich diet, that tends to increase your firmicutes to bacteroidetes ratio. Um, but the details are really, really important when it comes to, um, these two giant, giant families of, of bacteria. So what they showed was that raw, um, really dramatically increased, um, the, the amount of Bacteroidetes compared to Firmicutes. Um, heat uh, increased the ratio. So heat increased the ratio very much like high vegetable intake does. What was really, really interesting was only the raw fiber increased lactobacillus. That confirmed the wheat fiber study. Uh, the heated fiber reduced lactobacillus, but supported Clostridium, which is another beneficial probiotic, and Bacteroides, which is another beneficial probiotic. Uh, so what they were able to actually do is they were able to separate different types of bacteria produce different short-chain fatty acids. So they're actually able to say that raw fiber supported more lactic acid-producing bacteria, and the heated-treated fiber supported more butyric acid-producing uh, species of bacteria, which like is absolutely fascinating because it means that you could actually, you could hypothetically with this information do stool analysis, um, which would tell you, you know, if you've got more lactic acid or butyric acid uh, producing bacteria um, and you could actually um, cater your percentage of vegetables of, of raw versus cooked to support the, the growth of, of whatever you might be deficient in, which is, fascinating to me. Um, also, there is, interestingly, some evidence that really, really high butyric acid production can potentially uh, stimulate some, um, so we get a lot of butyric acid 
production from soluble fiber. And there's some you know, animal studies showing that potentially if you're supplementing with soluble fiber, you can actually trigger some gene expression in the liver that supports uh, fat deposition and uh, may actually be a contributor to obesity, which is another sort of um, good argument for balance, right? So having some raw and some cooked, which I thought was really, really fascinating. Uh, one of the other things here is that you know, another type of, of fiber that we understand, resistant starch, its structure changes pretty dramatically uh, when it's heated and, and then cooled. So we know that uh, resistant starch 2, uh, RS2, um, is a very, very important. It's the one that's found in like potatoes, bananas, plantains. Um, it actually supports the, the growth of um, a, a lot of beneficial strains, but what's even better than RS2 is RS3, which is called retrograde starch, which is what forms when you cook something like potatoes and then cool it down. So it actually needs to be cooked. It stretches out the molecule in the heat and then cool it down. It sort of reforms, but it doesn't quite reform back the way it was before. Um, it's one of the reasons why a sort of cooked and cooled potatoes. What's cool is that you can cook potatoes, cool them, and then recook them again, and you'll still get RS3. So if you want your hot potatoes, a twice-cooked potato is the way to go. Um, but what's really, really cool is that um, uh, RS2 so can actually suppress levels of bifidobacterium and lactobacillus um, because those really, really beneficial strains really prefer resistant starch 3, RS3 over RS2. RS2 still supports a variety of beneficial bacteria. So there are still great beneficial bacteria that like resistant starch too. But uh, what's fascinating is you kind of pull all this together and you can see that it's sort of hard to make a statement of uh, cooked fiber or raw fiber is better. They act differently on the microbiome. So cooked fiber, more readily fermentable. So there's just more short chain fatty acid production and that is beneficial. It lowers the acidity in the colon, which supports the growth of even more probiotic bacteria. So the best kinds of bacteria for our, our uh, large intestine, like a really acidic environment. And so when you get that fermentation going, so this is probably one of the reasons why going to cooked vegetables and soups is such a great way to support the growth of bacteria and get people into eating more vegetables. So it, it supports the growth of a, of a great environment. Um, but... Certain species would prefer the raw fiber, uh, including lactobacillus being you know, the one that's probably the best understood. So lactobacillus would prefer raw vegetable fiber, whereas you know, other you know, bifidobacterium doesn't necessarily care as much. And there are some others like clostridium that would actually prefer the cooked fiber. Um, so this, especially this brown seaweed uh, fiber, it, it really got into the, the super duper details of some of these of these uh, different um, strains. It was fascinating, and and the 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 take home message really is exactly what I said at the top. Um, you know, there's benefits to raw and there's benefits to cooked and probably the best thing to do is to mix it up and to enjoy some raw vegetables and some cooked vegetables. That's probably how hunter gatherers did it. And going back to uh, that last part of the question, which was um, raw vegetables until four. Um, actually, I would say that given the ener increased energy density that we get from cooked vegetables, um, 
there's there's a very good argument to to also mix it up for um, children and and infants who are are learning to eat um, uh, solid foods. So do a sweet potato mash, but then uh, have you know maybe some something soft like a, a banana raw, right? Like so uh, you know making it obviously appropriate in terms of the, the child's ability to chew. But there's there's nothing in this information that would suggest um, anything different for a child's digestive tract versus an adult's digestive tract. We get benefits from both, and they're a little bit different. So the best scenario is to mix it up. So do you think for people that don't crave or don't enjoy eating raw vegetables that they could potentially have lacto Bacillus deficiency. Uh, I mean, this this amount of research is fairly limited, right? So we we found it in three different types of fibers, but that's certainly what it would suggest uh, is that you you are not supporting the growth of lactobacillus with only eating cooked fiber. Um, so that you know certainly makes a compelling argument for if if you know for people who. Um, you know, and there are, you know, like people who are recovering from IBD, right? There are certainly people who their, you know, implementation of the autoimmune protocol, for example, is all soups, right? Because that is the thing that's the easiest on their digestive tract. So certainly there's there's more to this equation than just feeding the right types of gut bacteria. But it certainly would indicate, you know, trying to slowly add in um, more raw vegetables would be very, very useful. Um, and of course, you know, what I always sort of recommend for people who are experiencing um, a lot of GI symptoms um, with that is is to go with smoothies, right? So you can do a smoothie raw, um, which, um, you know, we do know from the carrot study that decreasing the particle size also increases the, the fermentation. And it also tends to make it easier on, on people's stomachs. Uh, the vegetables and fruit. You could also have a collagen veggie smoothie blend because uh-huh. technically that's raw if it's dehydrated, it's, right? It's completely raw. Yeah. Do you, so, do you see what I'm doing there? Do you yeah, see yeah, yeah. I was actually I was actually about to go there too. So uh, <laughs> we're obviously in the same place. Yeah. So collagen veggie blend. Um, did I mention on the podcast that it's been reformulated and it's even better now? I oh. can't remember. I know we've talked about it, but I do know that people need to check it out. Obviously. So uh, let me just do a little plug for this uh, supplement that I uh, co-created with Vital Proteins that is really designed to make getting vegetables easier for people. So it's called it's actually called Dr. Sarah Ballantyne's Collagen Veggie Blend. Um, and uh, we reformulated it. I wanted to uh, tinker a little bit with the vegetable to fruit ratio. Uh, and we were um, needing to decrease the spinach for uh, a variety of reasons. So um, now instead of having a three to one ratio of vegetables to fruit, it has a four to one ratio, uh, but we decrease the serving size a little bit too. So one serving has two servings of vegetables. Half of that comes from leafy greens. Uh, it's mostly kale and a little bit of spinach. And the other half comes from other vegetables. It's uh, carrots, squash, and broccoli. And I'm trying to think if I'm missing one. Mm. Maybe not. Um, and then there's half a serving of high antioxidant fruit. So it's uh, berries, a little bit of lemon, a little bit of acerola cherry, which is one of the top food sources of vitamin C. 
and then there's 10 grams of collagen. So what I really liked about this formula is uh, a serving is two small scoops. Um, so uh, once well, I, I go one scoop is one serving of vegetables. So I often actually have three scoops, uh, sometimes four. So I will I will kind of like I'll have one and a half servings or I'll have uh, two servings. But I I like the math of that. Um, there's, there's something about just, oh, okay. So I, I cut this in half. I've got one serving of vegetables and then I can multiply from there. Um, it also has quite a different flavor compared to the original formula. So the original formula had a very strong greens taste, which people either loved or the opposite of love. Uh, the new formula I think tastes a little bit more like carrot juice. It's a much milder flavor and, um, it's generally, a little bit easier to hide. So if you put it in a smoothie, um, you can, you know, throw something else in there and you're not going to taste it as much. Um, but I also think that just drinking it straight, it's just a milder flavor. So it's a lot easier to drink straight and uh, it still, it just stirs into a glass of water. You can get the new formula directly from vitalproteins.com and we can put, um, links in the show notes to be able to, to go there. We obviously we'll put affiliate links. So we would highly appreciate you going to our website to click on those links. Um, and, um, and I think a lot of the other vendors, like if you're buying it from whole foods, I think whole foods still has the old formula. So I, I think they will for another few weeks are the last time I saw any sort of math calculus on when the new formula would roll out, uh, everywhere was going to be in July sometime. So the new formula, um, vitalproteins.com. And uh, in terms of the old formula, if you loved the old formula, you're like, oh, no, I don't want it to be, you know, reformulated. There's still lots of places where you can get it to stock up. Um, but it's, you know, it's designed to make getting vegetables easier. And it is, as you said, Stacy, raw. So I will say that I personally have been craving the collagen veggie blend. I enjoy both the old and the new, but I do think that I I got comments from people that they didn't like the old version because it was kind of bitter from the greens that were in it. And I do think that the new formula being so rich in what's more like a carrot juice type flavor mm. will be really palatable for people. Um, I personally love using it. I use two scoops, two servings, um, with like half a frozen banana and some almond milk to make a smoothie in the mornings. Um, and I find that to be really energizing and personally really sets my palate in a good place for the day. Um, and I also have it, I don't know if you have this Sarah, but I have partnered with vital protein. So if you go to the sidebar of our blog, there's like a picture that says, vital proteins. Um, and if you go there, there's a couple of bundles that are products that I personally love, use and recommend. And collagen veggie blend is part of like a trio of the regular blue collagen and the vital proteins, liver pills mm -hmm. and the veggie blend. That's like the three products that I use. I won't say every day cause I don't have veggie blend every day, but I have collagen and liver pills every day. And then I have veggie blend maybe three or four times a week. So if you love those products, you can get them in kind of like a slightly discounted bundle on our site, um, through the sidebar. Those do you are do also staples in my house, right? Yeah. The, the liver pills. I know we're talking about vegetables today, but, um, the liver pills are my lifeline. <laughs> 
like other <laughs> other people do monster drinks and the B vitamins in those are pretty much the equivalent to nature's monster or Red Bull or whatever. Um, I love those liver pills and how they make me feel. I mean, you know, I don't particularly love how they taste or how big they are when I'm taking them, but I love how I, love how I feel. So um, those are my three like favorite products. I've got them in a little bundle you can get from Vital Proteins Discounted. So thanks for making that veggie blend, Sarah. It's been wunderbar. Well, I selfishly made it because it was something that I wanted for myself, <laughs> um, but now everyone can enjoy it. So Yay. there you go. Uh, I also drink it every morning for breakfast. I've taken lately to um, making a smoothie with um, uh, goat milk whey protein, which I seem to be tolerating really, really well. And Fascinating. As a post-workout. And uh, and I, it's, just, it's just collagen veggie blend, goat milk whey, and water. And uh, it's not sweet. But I like I don't I don't do well with the sweet like if I have something sweet in the morning then I crave sweet all day, so I do much better just with like this is just straight and it's it's been so filling, but it's been I've definitely noticed um, improvement in in recovery since I started having that every morning for breakfast. Probably. We did yeah I mean we did you know. a show once about how um, recovery is essentially essentially caused by if you don't have a good recovery it's a nutrient sufficiency problem so that would make sense that doing veggie blend afterwards would help i know um i can see how that would totally work i feel like we're digressing from the awesomeness of what we were talking about earlier which is (laughs) vegetables in general so I think it's really fascinating and not at all surprising that there's benefits to both. (laughs) And um, I think it's also kind of natural to the way that we would eat. I mean, one of the things that I feel like people often get caught up with in looking at the complexities of, well, this person says raw and this person says cooked. And then if it is cooked, I mean, we didn't even get into the bajillions of questions that we get on, you know, steamed versus boiled versus microwaved versus um, baked and or roasted, you know, like all these kinds of things and how they can affect the foods that you're eating as well. And I think as we get wiser and we start to learn more about the foods and how they affect us, I think sometimes we can go down a rabbit hole of overthinking the things from the information that we learn and trying to be perfect and all that kind of stuff. And so as you become more aware of these things, just also remind yourself that you are doing great simply by making intuitive, health-conscious, informed choices every day. And so you know, we regularly use a tagine to steam our vegetables in a microwave. And um, I have absolutely no problem admitting that to all of you and knowing that it's a nutrient dense way for our family to get in quick vegetables. We can put them on the table quickly and everybody will eat them um, and different things like that. And so Whatever it is that works for you, whether it's, you know, a bag salad from the store or, you know, however it is that you're getting your vegetables in, I just want to encourage people to relax about your food choices. And I feel like the science that you just shared really supports that, Sarah, in that with, you know, a variety of different things, your body will get what it 
needs. And so if I think if we just kind of like live our lives and we, you know, grab crudite sometimes, I know your girls do such a good job of eating raw vegetables oh, in their lunches. So love, they so love, I mean, they typically eat cooked vegetables at dinner, but their lunches are like half raw vegetables and they, they love it. Like, uh, Mira lately, you know, she'll be like, she, she does this thing where like at four o'clock she wants a snack as I'm starting to get things ready for dinner. And I was like, grab a carrot. And that's become a, just a raw carrot, typically about the size of her arm, has become her, like, go-to, you know, snack. And I'm like, I, I, it's, I'm never going to feel bad about my kid eating a carrot for a snack. No. That was always my rule as well, is if the boys come home or ask for a snack at any time, the answer is always, you may have... I think it's like carrots and either celery or cucumbers or whatever it is that we have available. If you're super hungry, you may have those things. Otherwise, you can just wait an hour for dinner. And if they're really hungry, they'll eat it. And if they're not, then they'll wait. <laughs> you know, That's so exactly how it works in my house. Yep. All right. Well, I hope that this has been helpful for everybody. Thank you, Sarah. And um, I look forward to what future questions you listeners may have on vegetables, because I feel like there's got to be more coming. There's got to be more. And we're happy to talk about it at any time. Um, in the meantime, you can find our previous vegetable podcasts. If you haven't listened to them already, we'll put the link in the show notes. You would be welcome to leave a review on iTunes or share your comments um, in social media. The best thing that you can do for us is help us spread the word about the show. So share it with family and friends and leave reviews in iTunes so other people can find it. And of course, you can support us by shopping the links on the sidebars of our blog and visiting our websites, thepaleomom.com and realeverything.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. As we become wiser, we start to ask more. Thank you, Danny. Thank you. I appreciate you knocking that down. <laughs> oh, it's a blooper. Um, Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.